Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Thank God it's Christmas again, right? I felt that way last year. I feel that way again in 2021. But we need reminded of the hope that Jesus brought to us when he came. And I think my favorite thing about the Christmas story is just the simplicity of it because that's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes it so relatable that the story itself involves the rich and the poor, the young and the old, men and women, because Jesus made it very clear through all of those circumstances that he came to save everyone, that he came for all of us. And so this morning, I want to present to you just a simple Christmas thought, maybe a, an angle that is, is unique in some way. But I want to preach to you today, if Jesus will help me, crickets before Christmas. Yes, crickets before Christmas. Silence is golden, they say. Silence is rare. And our relationship with silence is a curious thing, if you think about it. We crave it, but then sometimes we just hate it. We need it, but there are times we do everything we can to avoid it. Do I have any extroverts out there, extra extroverts that just hate quiet? Yes. Yes, Ellie, thank you very much. Me too. Put on some music. Come on, let's have some holiday cheer. But the holidays bring a level of noise and chaos that other seasons do not. And the Grinch draws our attention to this fact as one of the reasons why he hates Christmas, right? All the noise. All the noise, 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 noise. And the parents said, amen. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the noise of children and holiday cheer can be a gift to us in what would be awkward moments. You know how it is. People gather. It's like the only time of year that they gather at the, you know, work party or the dinner table with family you don't see very often. And sometimes seconds pass that seem like an eternity while people are trying to think of, and what are we going to talk about next? We've covered the weather and so now there's nothing. And so that, that can seem like a very long time because silence can be painful. And maybe I'm just a little more sensitive to this because my Holy Father was especially gifted at shattering awkward silence. He had a way of doing something unexpected and usually very loudly. He was... Buddy the Elf, that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is, see, this is why you're my people. I love it. Yes. And so I am grabbing that mantle. My children are horrified that I can be joyful and triumphant in Costco if I want to be. Amen. This is still America, I think. And so I will burst forth in song if I choose. But silence can also be unsettling. When I was a mom of young toddlers, 
Silence was both friend and foe. Do I have a witness? I wanted it so bad. I begged God for it. I would hide from my children, trying to find just a moment of clarity and solace. I still do that sometimes, now that they're becoming teenagers. But, you know, it's an interesting thing how silence is something that young moms want, and yet, most of the time, it is an indication that something is wrong. Terribly, terribly wrong. And I remember such an instance in the Ellis Castle when my Audrey May was but a few weeks old. She was a precious baby. She was smiling. She never cried. She never asked for much. And so she was laying on the play mat there in the family room floor. I strategically laid her on the floor to keep her safe because I had to find a passy very quickly. Now, I knew where it was. So I assessed the situation, and yes, her big sister was fully present in that moment, and I decided, you know what, I know where it is. This is going to be a few seconds. It's going to be fine. And so I gave her sister very strict instructions. You are not to move her, speak to her, look at her. She is very stationary right now, so she should be right here when Mommy comes back. And it wasn't 20 seconds where that familiar sick feeling that moms get when you know it's your internal alarm is saying something's not right. It's quiet. It hasn't been quiet for a very long time. And so I picked up the pace as I was running down the stairs. And to my horror, as I turned the corner, there was my new baby being drugged across the hardwood floor. Like a bear cub, by her neck. (laughs) But look, she's fine. She's lived to tell about it. And in a total rush of adrenaline and maternal instinct, I very calmly slid across the kitchen floor like an athlete to catch her precious head in my hands. Silence is very unsettling sometimes. But silence can also be very calming. Do I have any nappers in the house? Yes. <laughs> Ellie, man, you and me, we're in sync today. Anybody got a nap on the agenda today? It's how we observe the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't take naps for very long. And so I have become a full adult and I have mastered the power nap. 15, 20 minutes, I tell the girls, it's in your best interest to walk away And to let me have silence for just a few moments so that I can just kind of reboot. It helps me. But it is worth noting that the Bible is full of periods of silence. That whether you're a new believer or you've grown up in the church, it's important to keep this in mind when we read the scriptures. You see, without careful study, we can miss the important fact that there are years, decades, even centuries missing between the accounts that we have in our Holy Bibles. A perfect example of this would be one of my personal favorite characters of Scripture, Joseph in the Old Testament. I love his story because I think that anyone can relate 
to Joseph's life experiences because they are varied and they are many. His story highlights the foolishness of his youth, the jealousy and betrayal of his family. Joseph was wrongfully accused, mistreated, misunderstood, and yet the highlight reel of Sunday school lessons doesn't tell the full story for us. There are a lot of years of Joseph's life of which we have no information. Genesis 37 verse 2, we read that Joseph is 17 years old when he is sold into slavery by his brothers. But from our perspective reading this book, it's just four chapters later that we read in Genesis 41 that Joseph is now 30 years old when he stands before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. A span of 13 years, a very dark time in Joseph's life, are covered in less than five chapters. And yet the Bible tells us what we need to know about that season in Joseph's life through statements like this in Genesis 39. And Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. You see, the Bible tells us what we know and omits what we don't know for God's specific purpose. I hope that you know. The Bible tells us that every scripture was given by God for the express purpose of helping us and equipping us. And so this morning, we can be confident that for all that we do not know, what we know is exactly what God needs us to know. Because God's purpose was clearly accomplished in Joseph's life, even in the two years that he spent in prison. And in the recorded life of Jesus, there is much we are not told either. We go from his birth to pre-adolescent Jesus in the span of two verses. Jesus grew up really fast. In Luke chapter 2 verse 38, we read, Anna the prophetess meets his parents in the temple on his dedication day, Jordan and Holly. He's just eight years old. She recognizes the Messiah as a wrinkly newborn baby. She was really awesome, by the way. And then we go to verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then, we skip ahead, 12 years, that his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. And so from the temple incident, Dr. Luke then takes us all the way to Jesus' baptism in the following chapter. And Jesus begins his ministry at age 30. And so from Luke chapter 2 to Luke chapter 3, Jesus goes from 8 days old to 30 years old. And so it's Jesus' earthly ministry, thankfully, that we know the most about We know many of his messages. We know many of his miracles, thanks to the gospel writers. But we certainly do not know everything that Jesus did while he was here. And John the Beloved highlights this in his gospel when he says, Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you would believe. And then finally, in the last verse of John's gospel, he says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, 
I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Wow. John assures us, I could keep writing, you guys, but there's not enough room. There's not enough storage in the earth to tell you all the things that Jesus did. And so finally this morning, I want to draw your attention to the Christmas story. We know quite a bit about Jesus' birth, not just in the beginning chapters of Matthew and Luke, but the Old Testament is full of prophecies, predictions, if you will, that give us details of his birth hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus actually came. In fact, some scholars believe that there are more than 300 prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament. It's incredible. And so quickly, I want to present to you just a few of the most specific and, and I believe, most compelling prophecies about Jesus' birth alone. Number one, that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Number two, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah said, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Number three, that Jesus would end up in Egypt. Hosea said, out of Egypt I called my son. Number four, that Jesus would come through Abraham's family. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then finally, that Jesus would come through David's family. I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. And yet between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New is what Bible scholars refer to as the intertestament period. We might know them as 400 years of silence. You see, Malachi was written around 430 B.C. And between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, we have absolutely no prophetic record. And can I just be human this morning and ask what maybe you are wondering, what in the world was happening during that time? And why would it take God so long? What was he doing for 400 years? Was he punishing humanity for the roller coaster ride of a relationship they had had from him since the beginning? I thought that God was always there. Didn't Ezekiel call him Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present? Didn't Isaiah say you will call him Emmanuel, for he is God with us? And while these 400 years of silence revealed no biblical revelation, they did include many historic significant events. And though the Bible doesn't record what those events are, History certainly does. In fact, from a historical perspective, God was very active for 400 years, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies that prepared the political world and the religious world for Jesus' arrival. 
During these quiet years, the world saw the Greeks come to power long enough to establish their language as dominant up until the time of Christ. And that's why the New Testament was written in Greek, an almost universal language at that time. Then we see the Romans come to power, and they created a very hostile political and religious environment for the people of God. All of these things prepared the world stage and the hearts of humanity for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Through the polarizing political environment and the corruption of Jewish tradition and law through the Pharisees and the Sadducees, God's people longed for the promise of the Messiah that had been foretold to their ancestors centuries before. Does that sound kind of familiar to anyone? It sounds a lot like the world you and I are living in. God used the oppression and the difficulty that people were living under to stir their hearts towards him just in time for his arrival. And I think you and I should connect the dots this morning in 2021 to say if that's how he prepared the world the first time, that doesn't it look like that's how he's preparing us again for the second time he's going to come. And so while the world feels out of control, I can stand with confidence in this pulpit today to understand that he is very much in control. And that's why when Jesus listed all of those things to recognize and look for, he said, look up, because your redemption is drawing nigh. And so before there was a Christmas, my friends, there was silence. Another title for this message could be Silence Before a Silent Night. Before the angel shared the greatest news humanity would ever receive, nothing was said for 400 years. There were no more prophecies. There were no more prophets. There was no new assurance for a very long time. And while God worked to fulfill the greatest promise he would ever give all of us, it was quiet for a long time. Galatians 4 gives needed perspective to this fact when it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son. I looked up that phrase, fullness of time, hoping for some profound revelation to give you today, and this is what I learned. It means a completed space of time. Wow. Sometimes the Greek kind of lets you down. But isn't that rather ambiguous for a God who knows everything? Who is the end and the beginning itself? Could it be this ominous, ominous silence before a silent night was part of Matthew and Luke's motivation as they began writing their accounts of Jesus' life. Because in both Gospels, before we're introduced to the key players in the Christmas story, we go through a long list of names, some of which we do not even recognize. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most families begin reading the Christmas story after the genealogies. Linus certainly didn't quote it in the, in the Peanuts Christmas special. 
We like Matthew 1.18. This is a good start. This is exciting. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. We don't start with Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, begat, 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 begat. And yet the message of the genealogies is a profound one. That boring list of names that starts Jesus' story teaches us something fundamental to our faith. And that is simply that God always keeps his promises. And that is the message of Christmas, pure and simple for you and I today, that God keeps his word. And it is actually the message of the Bible itself that no matter how long it takes, no matter what it takes, God will always honor his word to us. And so, amen. And so those names that Matthew and Luke give us are the proof us readers need to understand that Jesus did everything the prophets said that he would do. From the details of his birth to the purpose of his life, Jesus was everything that he was told to be. He was the fulfillment of every promise made centuries and centuries before he actually showed up. You see, the first promise of Christmas is found in the first book of the Bible. Christmas is the fulfillment of a promise made to a woman named Eve. I know she gets a bad rap, but I love defending people like her in Scripture to say, Hey! God didn't hold it against her, and neither should we. God made it so that she wasn't just the problem, but she got to be part of the solution. Because in Genesis 3, verse 15, God said to the serpent, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you, Eve, shall bruise his heel. What was God talking about? He was talking about the Messiah, the ultimate solution to the sin problem that Eve had brought into the world. God assured her, Serpent got you today, girl, but someday, someday. I'm going to make it right forever through you because God always keeps his promises. The promise that he made to Eve in the garden was born centuries later to a teenager named Mary. Through a woman, sin was introduced into the world, but through a woman, the perfect sacrifice for sin came into the world. And here we realize that Eve is in fact a part of the Christmas story because God told her that day in the book of Genesis, I'm not going to let this be your legacy, Eve. And I believe the Lord would remind some people of that truth today, that whatever your past has been because of Christmas, you can overcome that past. You can be made new. You can live a victorious life over the enemy of your soul because Jesus came at Christmas. Amen. He became like us. The Bible says he became sin who knew no sin and he did it all so that sin would never again be able to control you and I and sin would never again separate us from him. And so today, if you have never repented of your sins, you can do that. Today is a great day. 
If you have never been baptized in the saving name of Jesus Christ, today is a good day to be baptized in Jesus' name. And if you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't care how long you've asked and waited for it, you can receive that promise today because God always keeps his promises. In conclusion today, I'm going to invite the musicians to come. I have felt such a heaviness in my heart for people who feel distant from God, especially at Christmas time. There are some here today who are very weary because you've been waiting for your promise for a long time. There's been silence and no answer. Nothing has changed yet. My dad always reminded us that the holidays were the great magnifier. The good is better at Christmas time, and the bad is so much worse at Christmas time. And so for some of us, Christmas brings to light the silence in our lives. Hopes that are unfulfilled, prayers still unanswered, situations unchanged, relationships that are not yet reconciled, ever-present grief and loss. See, these are all part of living in a fallen world, a world that is much different than the one that God wanted for us to have. Because the truth is, life isn't perfect, not even at Christmas time. Yet in between the Old and the New Testament is a silent reminder often overlooked that even when God isn't speaking, He is working on our behalf because He's true to His Word. And so I want to remind you of what His Word tells us and what we hold on to in the quiet times. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us. From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and for our purpose today, not even silence. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, and I'll invite you to stand with me. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. And so God's people for four centuries heard nothing but crickets before Christmas. 
Jesus' newborn cry shattered the silence of 400 years with profound assurance that God had always been there. He had always been at work, and he will always do what he says he's going to do every time, no matter what. And so in 2021 at Christmas time, there is no king, there is no government decree, there is no movement or culture that will keep him from doing what he has said that he will do. Because it wasn't the case the first Christmas, and it is not the case even now. And so this morning, if you are suffering in the silence, know today that the Bible shows us that silence preceded that glorious silent night. That not hearing God's voice has never meant that he wasn't fully present. And in those years that we are missing, the details that we just don't have in the Bible, what the Bible does tell us fills in those blanks to assure us that God is always there. He is always working, and he is always true to his word. Silence has never been an indication of his indifference towards us or his inactivity in our lives. For he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so whatever it is that is silent in your life, whatever prayer that is not being answered, whatever issue that seems unaddressed, no matter what you do and how long you pray, you can stand in confidence, especially at Christmas time, to say, Lord, Even when I don't see it, I know that you're working in my life. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.